And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on The Sustainability Story. My name is Matt Orsog, Senior Director of Capital Markets Policy at CFA Institute. And today we're talking to Rob Zakowski, Program Director of Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative at Harvard Business School. Now, I'm guessing that a lot of you haven't heard of the, the Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative, which is why we wanted to have Rob on. It's, it's something relatively new, uh, trying to understand how to measure impacts in the investing world that we haven't, we haven't done so. Uh, previously. But Rob's the expert. I'll let him explain. Rob, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about how you got here uh, uh, to this point uh, uh, where you're, you have to be talking to me on a podcast uh, and a little bit uh, more importantly about uh, impact weighting accounts and, and what you guys are doing. Yeah. So my career journey is uh, one of a pivot. I started out like many people in, in mainstream asset management and, uh, and and finance working in a, you know, bulge bracket asset manager in New York City. And um, I worked there for about seven years and did a number of, of jobs. My last two years, I really wanted to do something that felt A, like it was in sort of a, a green space, but be also something where I could feel like my my work was additional um, and I and, and and really potentially helped people. Not that not that my work was not helping people, but I didn't feel like my sort of you know particular skill set was uh, being used. Uh, so I, I did an M- MBA uh, while working full time on the weekends and I uh, sort of created a major for myself out of sustainability and impact investing and anything like nonprofit management, just anything focused on social, uh, sort of social sciences I, I, that I could get my hands on, I did. And so after that, I was lucky enough to join the, at the time, it was a brand new initiative here at HBS. It's been uh, well over two years now. Yep. Um, and to join the Impact Weighted Accounts uh, Initiative being started up under the leadership of Professor George Seraphim. Now, Professor Ethan Rowan is also a part of that. So that's how I, that's how I, you know, got here. It's been a really rewarding past two years about our work, and I'm really excited with with the directions that it's gone in. So what problem is the Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative trying to solve? Yeah. So the the, the problem that we're has a few facets to it. On one hand, we have an accounting system and frankly, an economic system that was set up for you know, early to middle of last last century, right? When resources were frankly abundant, the human population was far, far lower, right? And the and the Earth's sort of carrying capacity was well larger than than humans were using, right? And so economists took this whole grouping of what are they just called externalities, right? Which are factors external to the firm and external to production, and they just 
sort of ignored them, right? right? And which, which is, you know, basically would be the equivalent with where we are now, right, in sort of relative to the Earth's carrying capacity, um, sort of uh, environmental degradation, et cetera, food stress, um, would be the equivalent of a physicist like ignoring inertia, right? It's just, it's, it's sort of, you know, <laughs> oh, we don't like it, you know, it's hard to model, so we're just going to move it, you know, or just ignore it. Um, and so, we're, but we're still working under that sort of economic paradigm. The way it plays out in accounting is that accounting really is set up when you look at sort of the use case under IFRS or GAAP, it's set up to provide information to the providers of financial capital, right? Um, and uh, which is, you know, equity owners uh, when, and debt owners to, to a certain extent. But that results in all other, it results in a minimization of cost for employees, right? They're viewed as a cost center rather than sort of a source of ongoing creation, which doesn't really make sense in, in now that we're moving into the knowledge economy. It also incentivizes the minimization of taxes. And really, again, really largely free exploitation of the Earth's resources, right? And sort of leads to the tragedy of the commons, right? Use as much as you can before others can. So that's that's the one, right? That's the, the paradigm that we are in right now. And there's been a lot of well-meaning F, really strong and, and great efforts to do better quantification of those externalities that are being put, um, you know, produced by firms um, through various metrics um, and and reporting systems. The biggest challenge that we see with those is they are, um, uh, they're not intuitive, right? And so, and and they're, they're not intuitive by that, I mean, they are denominated in the subject matter domains of environmental science, human capital management, public policy, public health, right? You could do a subspecialty PhD in each one of those ones, right? right? But it's seldom, right, that somebody has cross-cutting, uh, you know, expertise in all of those. And frankly, on boards, uh of most companies do not have somebody who has the cross-cutting expertise. And, and frankly, the line managers that are making decisions every day do not have that expertise. And so we really see a challenge, a translation challenge, right? right in right. taking those metrics and applying them into business um, and getting better management at the board level and within the organizational level and frankly, the investor level, right? And so that is really what we are trying to solve through impact-weighted accounting is to transform metrics. Um, the other challenge is that a lot of the metrics denominate inputs and activities and outputs, um, which are not necessarily, by that I'll, I'll be a little more concrete, inputs, right? Does a company have a policy against harassment or incivility, right, or retaliation? Right. That, we all know that there's a big difference between writing a policy and having a culture that's free of that, right? And so right. sort of wanting to get from the input to the outcome, right, and, and the impact um, for people. So by, by putting it into monetary terms, which represent the end impact for the stakeholder, we are really trying to move, move the system, right? And, and frankly, use capitalism to the best of its ability, which is deploying capital to um, areas of um, greatest opportunity um, and, and, and lower risk. Um, but in a way that frankly is cognizant 
of the externalities that are being produced. That's a great setup. And, and so in the example you gave of, we're talking about putting a value on the culture of that company, you know, not just does it have this policy, but what is the culture? Is it a good culture? How do we value that? Is it a bad culture? How do we value that? And we could get into valuing, you know, things we were, we're more inclined to think about of, you know, carbon and, and carbon markets, for example. Um, and, we'll, and we'll go into that methodology a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I asked you to think about What's one, before we, before we began, I asked you to think about what's kind of one fact or one number that kind of helps frame this conversation uh, for people listening who are, and you know, a lot of our listeners are going to be new to this. Uh, so, so let me know what you have. Yeah. So we have, um, in our environmental methodology, we've, we've done just under 25, we've, we've, between 2010 and 2019, we are adding 2020, but the data is on about a year lag. Right. We've estimated environmental impacts, right, between 2010 and, um, uh, again, 2019. That's about 2,500 companies. Okay. And when we look at the damages, um, they are over uh, $17 trillion, right, of, of environmental damage, right? And that's only a small, small subset, right, of companies producing globally. Um, right. And so I think that that is... Right. Um, in when you when you actually think about how huge that number could potentially be, um, that's yeah. a huge amount of damage that's being produced yeah. every year. So, so seventeen trillion. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you there. So seven, 17 trillion from that small subset or yeah. externalities were not valuing properly. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So. So I, yeah, I don't want to know the larger sample for the yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into a little bit more explanation about what you guys are doing and and, and explain it to people. Uh, yeah. you know, I, and, and at the end, I'll recommend, but I'll do it right now as well, uh, for folks to a lot of, you know, most of what you guys are doing is just available on the Impact Weighted Accounts website. Go there. It's a, it's going to take you a little time to walk through the, the, the homework, but it's well worth it. You'll get yeah. a better understanding. We're going to talk for about half an hour or so, but it'll, it'll give people a better understanding of what we are talking about. But. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for the plug. And I'll, and I'll just say the papers are long, um, and I know attentions are compressed <laughs> these days, but what we've really tried to do is lay out our methodology in recipe book style fashion, right? right. Very, very stepwise so that other people can uh, replicate our findings, they can, uh, you know, criticize, they can improve upon it. Um, and so, and, and a huge, huge belief of ours is that this is a public good. Um, yeah. uh, and so, uh, th thanks again, yeah. I encourage everybody. Everything, everything. The most current research is always on our on our website. Yeah. So. Well, then I apologize in advance for sending people to to, to complain to you. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> a, that's okay. It's part, you know, it's part of the job because it it means that people are engaging with the work, definitely, and engaging yeah. with it, and it helps us. It helps us to Im improve. So any any feedback is welcome. All right, well, let's start out. You know, in in some of the and I and, I, and I've gone through a couple different sectors you guys looked at, but. But you sent me a document that I looked at before uh, that's kind of the summary of what you guys are doing. And at the very heart of, of that, the beginning of that, is a very uh, simple value orientation to help people kind of frame what you guys are thinking with, with the y-axis and the x-axis. Just speak to that. Let's start there and then expand what we're talking about. So if we think about the, the, the two axes that you described, on the vertical axis would be value to providers of financial capital. So on the top would be positive 
value creation for financial providers of capital on the bottom would be negative. And then the horizontal axis would be um, uh, value creation to uh, non-financial stakeholders, right? So things like employees, the society in which you operate, the environment, right, with on the right positive value creation on the left would be um, negative creation. Um, so if, if we think about quadrant one in the upper right quadrant, that is co-creation of value for both financials of provide, providers of financial capital and to non-financial stakeholders, right? right? If we think about the lower two quadrants, right, the lower right would be actually negative value to the providers of financial capital and positive value to non-equity stakeholders, right? That would be where nonprofits operate, basically, right. or foundations, right? right. The lower left quadrant would be bankruptcy because you're delivering basically negative value for everybody. Right. A really problematic quadrant that we see is actually the upper left one, right? Where you are actually delivering positive financial value to your stake, your financial stakeholders, but you are a net extractor of value from every other stakeholder, right? And many legitimate businesses operate in this quadrant today. The biggest challenge is that it's really hard to figure out who's co-creating value and who is, uh, who's basically just redistributing value to their their, their financial providers, right? Um, and uh, you know, in and the reason I say many legitimate businesses is because you know right now. You know, the, the big CNBC headline, you know, or whatever financial Bloomberg media or whatever, you know, usually says, you know, they, they killed profits or, you know, really, really just, you know, crushed it this quarter, or, you know, or missed it. Right. But you never get you, you seldom ever get I don't think I've really ever seen a huge headline like that for the annual sustainability report. Right. And then again, <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to parse it because usually impact involves some types of trade-offs, right? And so you may have big value creation on behalf of your employees, but, you know, negative from the environment. So our goal is really to help um, for uh, consumers, right, to be able to uh, sort of consume um, and purchase goods in a more responsible way. It would probably take hours and hours of research to do an, a, a daily grocery shop you know, to really figure out, you know, which companies are, uh, you know, in that first quadrant, employees to sort for employment, um, and then frankly, investors to better allocate. So. Well, that, that's great. Thanks for setting up that example and that di diagram in our heads. Uh, and if you're, if you're, if you're watching at home, you know, pull up the, the website and you can pa pause us and pull up the website. And you can see what we're talking about, but I, you, you described it very well. So now I want to get into, well, give us some examples, uh, just one or two examples of, you know, places where we're not allocating or, or not uh, valuing these impacts correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I talked about, right, the environmental damage, right, that occurs, you know, every every single year. And, you know, again, for, for some companies, when we look at it on a percentage of revenue or percentage of operating profits, many, many companies, I don't have the exact number here, but many companies incur damages that are well over a hundred percent, right? Or impose damages on the environment that are well over a hundred percent of their operating profits. 
many also impose damages that are larger than all of their revenues, right? And so, again, a lot of those are in very material intensive industries. So it's not that um, investors may not, you know, sort of understand this. But frankly, it's, it's shocking when you see the numbers, right? And any company that for for those that people that say uh, sort of ESG elements are not within an organization's fiduciary duty, I would I would push back and say what other percentage of cost if would would you like there would be zero other type of cost that if it had the potential right um, to run make a company unprofitable right like if a if a executive board was not managing that type of cost, they would be thrown out, right? You know, right. and so um, that's a, that's frankly a big hidden liability. And frank, and while we don't expect that companies will ever be held fully responsible for all of that environmental damage, we think it's likely that in the near to medium term, they're responsible for, for some of that. Right. And, and, you know, we've, we frankly saw a huge, huge, um, uh, in the United States, you know, the, the tobacco master settlement agreement, right, was right. You know, billions and billions of dollars, right? Because eventually, you know, the, the, the track record of the companies caught up with that, right? And so right. Um, this isn't, I don't love to usually talk about, um, uh, you know, sort of like the, there's the carrot or the stick argument. And I don't, right. I don't always think that the stick works that well, but from a risk mitigation perspective, it's important. Yeah. The other thing that we'll talk about is com- many, many companies are, um, uh, when you look at product impact, right? Product impact has the potential to be a really large opportunity um, for companies in, in a way to distinguish themselves, right? And so if a company, we've, we've found that when, um, uh, when you look at, at you know, products uh, and, and you do the monetized estimates, right, there are companies that are producing sort of negative impact for their, their you know, through their products, whether it be through the nutritional aspects that they're providing um, uh, to their consumers um, uh, or the environmental impact, et cetera. Um, and then there's companies that are knocking it out of the park um, in terms of, you know, positive um, positive impact. And so um, companies that really want to um, compete in the next phase of the economy, as we're seeing change in consumer taste toward more, um, uh, you know, sustainable production, et cetera, um, can really distinguish themselves um, or it can be a, a, a missed opportunity for some. The last thing I'll say is, when we look at um, uh, employment, right, we actually, we've, we've seen, um, uh, you know, core, very strong uh, relationships with, um, you know, company, and this isn't a, a surprising finding, right, I will say, but we've been able to, um, you know, substantiate it, right, through when we quantify the employment impacts um, across either sort of wages, quality wages, um, uh, health and well-being benefits, et cetera, there's a substantial impact on on turnover, right? Um, and and there are some relationships, depending on which industry you look at, with, with market performance. And so, um, and many, many companies are not producing the, the full impact that they could with their, through their employees, 
just prim primarily because of a number sort of a number of issues related to diversity um, and, and inclusion and, and wage quality. Um, they could be uh, making employees much happier, which leads then to lower turnover right. um, and, and higher you know success in a number of areas. Right. So, Thanks. That that was a, that was a great explanation. I think that helps people understand. We're we're getting a better well with with y'all's work, we're getting a better understand of the magnitude and direction of these externalities that we we just haven't been pricing enough. Yeah. And so that gets me into, um, and I'm I'm sure my my li our listeners uh, both of them are are asking, what is uh, what is the methodology now? You know how how does this how does this work? What's the what's the magic behind this? How do I kick these tires? Yeah. So go go into the methodology a little if you can. Yeah. So I would say we have we have three methodologies, or that sounds like it's like this huge thing. We've 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 broken down our work into environmental um, impact, right? Upstream and operational mm -hmm. employment impact, which is upstream and and then operational within the firm itself. And then downstream lies with product impact, right? We've, we've done that a little bit as a um, a way for some of your listeners might be accustomed to sort of the full life cycle impact analysis, especially right. environmental impact. We do put we put environmental impact for the product, so end of life, recyclability, et cetera, in the product impact. We've done that uh, because of the traditional um, barrier of the firm with an accounting statement, right? And so we 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 wanted to uh, break product impact out because there probably will have to be some sort of different treatment, right? When we get into the accounting elements of it, mm -hmm. um, just because of that that traditional barrier of the firm at sale, but um, that that sort of orients everyone to the sort of high level of how we've structured our work. We have a methodology for each of those, right, for how to figure it out. Environmental and employment are really pretty standardized across industries, whereas product, because there's so much heterogeneity uh, within, you know, billions of SKUs uh, globally, yeah, yeah. we have to get a little bit more specific on an industry-by-industry industry basis. But what we've done is we, we've designed some top-level buckets for product that ensures that we are considering critical elements within each industry type and then the, the specific metrics and how we get to those differs by industry. So for environment, I'll go into that. Um, we can, you know, as there's time, we can go into some of the other ones. But for environment, we're really looking at taking, so most of the time we get company reported um, outputs or right. yeah, outputs, right? So millions of metric tons of GHG emissions millions of cubic meters of water withdrawn and discharged are right. just some of the few. Right. That doesn't tell you whom is impacted or what the nature of the impact is. Right. So there's there's a body of work that has been in development for you know well over 30 years from Chalmers Research University, um, which forms a, a large part of our environmental methodology, um, which, which goes deep into um, fundamental studies, right, on for a given emission type, what is the impact on human health, right? Mm -hmm. Via, and it'll get even more <laughs> specific. So through undernutrition, through heat stress, right? Um, through right. migrating tropical diseases. Um, it'll do this across eight uh, sort of broad buckets, human health, uh, a number of production capacities for the earth via crop, animal or agricultural production capacity, biodiversity, 
and abiotic resources. And it, it, it assigns a specific sort of correlational pathway. I can't say it's causal, right? Uh, the, the burden for causal proof is pretty high, but a very strong correlational pathway based on uh, very, very strong fundamental research, right? To, to say, to transform for the marginal metric ton of carbon dioxide emitted, Right. Mm-hmm. What is the expected sort of right. change in human health, for example? Right. And then we use monetization factors, right, based on a number of um, accepted monet- monetary. Um, and when I say monetization factors, it's basically the the, the conversion factor between uh, sort of the the impact denominated in the you know years of life lost or disability adjusted life years, right? It, you know through undernutrition, et cetera, into a dollar term. So there's a number of accepted methodologies which have been validated by the Capitals Coalition and their important documents. The International Standard for Organization recognizes the same ones, right? So they can be either damage costs, right? So what is the cost to lost wages for a disability-adjusted life year, right? Um, What is the cost of, of a life lost, right? What is the cost of restoring an ecosystem, right, that has severely diminished production capacity. So you can look at restoration costs, damage costs. Um, uh, There's a number of sort of revealed preferences methodologies, um, depending on um, uh, sort of the the precise impact that you're you're trying to quantify. Um, And then and 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 then it becomes frankly, multiplication, you know, through it at the company level, right? Once you get to the investor level, there's a few attribution questions, right? Which we and a number of other, like the gin has dealt with that for a number of investors as have, you know, GHG protocol and the CBP mm-hmm. and their scope three emissions. But mm-hmm. that's, that's sort of, that's how it works, right? In sort of a, a very quick example, mm-hmm. right? When we think about social impacts, right? And and I should qualify this by saying people might say, okay, you just gave the example of wages lost, right? For a uh, for a person who has sort of, you know, a disability, right? Or, you know, they're they're not able to work, right? What are the wages lost? That's that's such a simplistic element sort of 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 the impact, right? And I I would frankly agree, right? And I I, I will say this, I put this out there and I acknowledge it, right? Um, because um, you have you have to sort of be cognizant of what it can and can't can't do. It, it is almost impossible, right, to fully value, right? What is the sublime value of an un you know obstructed and unsmog filled sky? You know what is the right. what is the the value of a, a, a human life to the people that they you know love and care about them and live in society, and we can't right. I would it would be hubris to say that we could absolutely quantify that, and yet I would say that even today with be, being able to do a part of that right and put value to part of that <laughs> is an improvement than what is happening today, where a lot of decisions are being made on sort of gut judgment or value right because you know resources are finite and you have to you just have to make decisions and so um yeah, open it, open to questions from you on that or pushback on that. yeah no no I, and that gets me you know back to the 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 phrase uh and i'm gonna see if i can remember exactly what i said 10 minutes ago but direct the direction and scope of yeah. of the and of an externality you may not get it to the dollar but you're gonna know 
as a board or as an investor, is this a problem or yeah. is this an opportunity? Yeah. Uh, that's what I think is so interesting about the what you guys are doing is we can better understand, is there a risk there? Is there an opportunity there? And then go dive into more detail uh, as needed. I wanted to jump into, you know, in some of the, in some of the reading I did for, before we talked is, you know, there's going to be tricky examples out there of in instances where something, an activity or a product is, has pluses and minuses mm -hmm. to it. And the example I gave, and there's many others out, out there are, you know, greenhouse gas emissions from tractor trailers shipping us all our Christmas presents, you know, and all the food we eat, you know, we kind of need those things. Yeah. And yet we have the negative externality of greenhouse gas emissions. How do you parse out? And, and like I said, there's many other examples like that. And if you have a better one, feel free to jump in with it. No. But, but, but when there's, when there's positives and negatives, how do you suss those out? Or is it just a more complicated math problem? Yeah, no, I mean, I, so one of the biggest things, right, that we, we often talk about is it's not just the end number, right? It's and and when and we're working on a body of work that's going on for public consultation with the Impact Economy Foundation on what are the what is the just and ethical way to display this information, right? And our view is each stakeholder, right, sort of deserves their own sort of like balance sheet, right? When you when you display it, right, um, or sort of. PL for that that given year, right? So, um, uh, and even the sub dimensions of that, right? Because you, one of our a big value of ours is is transparency, right? And um, uh, yeah, is is really transparency. And so, when I was talking about our product, right, framework, right, we have a number of dimensions. So the first one is. What is sort of the quantity and how long is it, right? Elements mm -hmm. of customer reach. Then there's elements of customer usage, mm -hmm. right? Um, which incorporates affordability, health and safety, optionality, right? So is the product addictive, right? Or is the company using um, uh, distorted marketing practices, et cetera? And then at the end, we have... Um, uh, environmental impact and end of life and recycling, right? And so, our view is right when you when you dis for an organization, right? It's, it's not just the final sum of all those those numbers, but right. it's actually sort of the various the various pieces of it, right? Because everything does come with with good and bads, right? You know, and and frankly, a lot of people look to the oil companies, right, to say, oh, you know, you're you're the ones, and they say, but everybody drives their cars, you know, right? And right. so I'm going to get criticism from that. I'm, I'm not meaning to wade into that whole debate, right? But we are all we are all sort of beneficiaries of of an even imperfect economic system in, in some right. ways, right? And we are yeah. also victims of that in, in other ways, right? And so, you know, for, as we think about, you know, automobiles, right, or trucks, right, we do quantify, right, sort of the, for example, um, we will quantify the time savings, right, for rural drivers, right, who don't have optional, right, for, for a car, right, or, or even, frankly, for urban drivers, but primarily for rural drivers, we'll look at the time savings of an automobile, right, and, and the utility of that um, versus trying to take public transportation, right, or, or right. the alternative. 
And that that is that is usually a positive benefit. We'll look at the safety of the vehicle. We'll look at right. the reliability. Um, we do look at right, and we we look at the environmental damage, right? And we would definitely break that out, right? And so there are positives and and negatives um, uh, to that. Um, and so I would say it's for for every single type of product, we're always going to have you know sort of this this different spread. And, and so I would, I go back to saying it's not just about the sum of the whole, but it's actually about the different pieces. Right. And then, and then, but, but what's powerful about it, right. Is that you can then, you, when you use sort of this comparable framework and these sort of intuitive measurements unit, when you look at cars, I'm sort of side, we, we have a diagram that comes from one of our partners on sort of Richmond Global Sciences, and it basically ranks all these autos, right? Sort mm-hmm. of like greatest damage to sort of least damage, right? Or sort of mm-hmm. overall net or strongest positive, and, and it does allow you to make better decisions and, and asset allocation. Got it. All right. The last question before we wrap up, I wanted to ask is, you know, in looking through what you guys have done, you've been working with a lot of companies and a lot of investors already, you know, in the, in the couple of years you guys have been around, you know, what's some of the feedback you've gotten from them, you know, what's working, what's not, how are they using this information? How are they not? Because this is mostly uh, investors listening to us right now and they're investing in the companies that you guys are, are analyzing. Yeah. So, you know, just the, what you've learned from working with those companies and investors. Yeah. So we've been fortunate with some, a number of companies have let us um, publish like case studies and use their names. Right. Uh, and those are on our website. We've published a bunch of sort of lessons learned. I'll talk through investors. So two of the investors that we've worked with are um, uh, the BlackRock uh uh, it's their global impact equities uh, team, as well as their shareholder, I'm blanking on the name, but it's their their shareholder engagement team. Um, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully they'll forgive me for getting their names wrong here. But they found that in, in the, the investing team, right, they did find that it was very helpful in their upfront due diligence, right, to compare different companies within an industry. Um, uh, I think we did an example for them with telecom, right? And so we looked at some legacy telecom carriers versus other carriers operating in, you know, sort of emerging economies. And it was, it was helpful. It added an additional lens, right, to what they were already doing. I mean, they're a super sophisticated team. And so they, they, they absolutely found it useful. I think they are continuing to implement it. In, in that team, from a uh, shareholder engagement perspective, um, they also found it was helpful, and it was. They, they, I believe they used it in at least one or two shareholder engagements yeah. um, uh, from that year. That's again, that's all written up in a case study, and so everybody can go and look at the specifics for that. That's all public. And another uh, is Calvert um, Investment Management. They allowed us to write about them, and they also used it in their shareholder engagement. I was part of one of their those calls. And I, I can't mention which company it was with, um, but it was with a number of very senior members of their leader, their executive leadership team. And when we brought to them our concerns about their product um, and put the numbers in front of them, I think the you know eyes widened, um, yeah. and uh, and so the message really became um, very clear. And so from from. I would say, and, and the same thing with sort of the BlackRock shareholder team, right? It, it just, it was, it became an element of translation 
Yeah, yeah. Some of the things that they were highlighting were already out there, right? And, and they, they knew about those things, but to be able to really quantify in real dollar and cents terms is is really you know helpful. I think now shifting to the company perspective, um, Axiona has allowed us to write about them. They've talked about it in a number of places. My understanding is they are including this um, analysis in all future cap capex decisions. Oh, great! Because they found it so helpful, right? They found it really, really helpful to weigh the financial benefits against against the cost, right? And so, and other companies have told us, you know, this was so helpful for us. We 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 did a, a few pilots where companies said they looked at a decision that they had made or wanted to make and weren't able to make, right? Because they faced a huge dollar cost cash outflow today. Right. Against sort of a longer term, frankly, nebulous benefit, you know, in terms of like, OK, you know, is that is that GHG reduction? Is it a lot? Is it a little bit? You know, does yeah. it is it worth this big dollar expenditure? And, and we've also found it's a helpful translation element there for members of the board and the leadership team. So, yeah, so it's 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 an exciting area of of, of work. Um, and I will I'll say there's now. Uh, there's a few monetization bodies of work that have, you know, been sort of, uh, you know, piloted. It's sort of some have we've kind of all operated as like little sort of scrum, you know, groups, you know, uh, sort of working on our methodology. We're all now coming together, being facilitated by the Capitals Coalition in the Value Accounting Network. Right. We right. hold at least monthly calls, and a number of us are working very closely in, uh, together in order to ensure that sort of our there are not major definitional differences or methodological differences that would cause us to come into the different as you said before scale and reach right or scope and and, and, and direction right. there is still just like there are different fat ways of calculating gdp mm-hmm. right i think there's three if i remember my macroeconomics class correctly there's three different ways of calculating gdp right they may not come to the same dollar answer but they should put you in the same neighborhood Right. And so there is for the immediate term, given the information asymmetries between company, internal company metrics and what's disclosed publicly to investors, there is the need for a sort of top down methodology, which is really what we focused on, really Mm -hmm. empowering investors and a bottom up methodology, very similar to what's been done by the Value Balancing Alliance in, um, in, in Europe and a number of others which is more suited toward sort of very data intensive decisions within a, within a company. But we want to make sure that they sort of, when you, when you come at those two directions, uh, they, they, they land in the same place, but we do see a need for those in the immediate term. Well, thanks. That, that has been great, Rob. But before we let you go, we always try to give our listeners some, some homework, some constructive homework. Yeah. Uh, so I ask, you know, what are you reading or listening to, and, you know, again, I would like to plug folks to go go on y- y'all's website, the Impact Weighted Accounting Initiative website, and there's a lot there. You know, the methodology we walk through, it's going to take a little longer to read through it, but it'll give you, for those interested, it'll give you a really better understanding. And the case studies are there. And from an, you know, from an investor's point of view, I can see you want to be able to, you know, get the, the, the scope and direction of those risks and opportunities. But from the companies as well, it's like... They would probably pay, you know, consultants many magnitudes of what what you guys are, you know, what you guys are doing. So maybe you're in the wrong line of work. I I think so, but you know, 
No, but it's but it's it's free consulting for them. Yeah. And really useful stuff. So that that's what I'm I'm reading for. You know, I'm I'm reading the stuff on your website that I haven't gotten to yet. But but what are some things, you know, on, on impact? You mentioned you just mentioned some of the other organizations that are working with us as well. Where where can uh, our listeners take a deeper dive? Yeah. So there's there's a public consultation which is gonna come out, I think, in January on the impact weighted accounts framework, which we're doing with the Impact Economy Foundation. So that's not out yet, but stay tuned for that, which really talks about, gives a framework for the display, right? Because we really don't want this to become an exercise for greenwashing, right? And, you right. Know, whatever washing you want to name. So there, there's certain sort of ethics around how you should do this. So that's an exciting one. I think like everybody, I'm digesting what's coming out of COP. COP26, where those various bodies of work are going to, or various, various commitments are going to, are going to take us. I'm really, I'm, I'm reading a lot of what's coming out of the IFRS Sustainability and Standards Board. We're very excited and encouraged by that. I think the EFRAG task force just put out interim update as well there. So I'm, I have a thick stack of weekend reading here. And those are just a few, a few things that I am going to be looking at. Again, the Value Balancing Alliance, if you're within a company as well, right, that they've, they've put out a methodology on biodiversity, which is, which is really fascinating. And again, our, our two organizations are working together to uh, ensure harmonization and no conflicts where possible. Oh, and out today, the Impact Management Project has, been, has run a structured network of standard setters and, and metrics organizations. I think there's 21 of us. And I'm thrilled to announce, so way before... Before COVID hit, it feels like a long time ago, all of the organizations, Impact Rated Accounts is one of them, met at the Bellagio Center uh, run by the Rockefeller Foundation. And we all began this huge body of work on um, explaining how the system of standards fits together, right? There's a number of standards. For many, many years, people have said the this space is totally fragmented. It's a huge mess, right? You need to harmonize there is certainly space for that, right? Which is where the IFRS Foundation is coming in, right? Mm. Et cetera. But there are standards that are fit for purpose, right? The GIN IRIS standards, right, are, are you know sort of very different from the GRI and SASB standards, right? It's it's actually meant for impacting people running a fund versus people running an operating company. And so there's a out today, it just launched under the forward curation from the UN. Uh, as well as the OECD, is the impact management platform. And it is a system of standards. Right now, I will send you, I'll send you the link, uh, Matt, as a, as a follow-up to give to your listeners. But I'm really, really excited about the potential to provide clarity. This has been done in conjunction with all of these organizations. So they've all vetted it and signed off on it. Uh, and I hope, I really hope it will, will reduce confusion in the space. So. That's great. Thanks, Rob. Uh, just to give everyone a timestamp, today's November 17th. So when Rob says today, it's November 17th. So when you're listening to this, uh, don't be confused. No. This this will probably come out. It's usually about two weeks after we record. So we look, you know, in early December, this will come out. But thanks, Rob. It was a great conversation. I hope we, we uh, helped educate folks on this, on this topic. Yeah, thanks. Always great to talk to you. Take care. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Take care.